that you have the name that's above every name. Woo! Glory. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is God. He is Messiah. He's the Redeemer. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And God, we submit to you and we say, reign in this place. Reign in my life. Reign in your church. Reign in our state. Reign in our nation. Reign in our world. Come, Holy Spirit. We love you. We bless you. We exalt you, God. Oh, you are worthy. 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 God, you're worthy of this offering, so we bring it with joy. You said you love a cheerful giver. Oh, we get to give now. We get to return to you that Jesus would be known throughout the world. And all God's people prayed in Jesus' name and said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Wow. Thank you, worship team. Good to have you today. Good morning, everybody. Boy, I don't know about you, but when I worship the Lord, my heart is stirred. I'm ready for his word. And it's just a beautiful time to be in God's presence today. And if you're a guest, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. Regardless of where you're at in your spiritual journey, there's a place for you here. We believe in people, no matter where they're at, we want them to come. We want them to be free to be themselves. We want them to ask questions. And it's okay to interact and even struggle with things. That's why we're here is to get to know our God better. Amen? All right. Before we dismiss our children, a couple praises while the offering's taken. Uh, the Great Exchange two weeks ago, over 40 conversations, and four people indicated that they received Christ through that outreach. So we give praise to God for that. Also, most of you already know this, but we welcome William Mansfield and his family, our new youth and college pastor. Yeah. And uh, I tell you what, their daughter, man, she is the smilingest little thing. I've, every time I see her, she just like lights up. And so they're going to be arriving in about a week or two. I think his uh, start date is February 11th. So let's welcome them and let's uh, really support their new ministry here. Excited about that. All right. We're going to do the scripture reading with the children in the room, and then we'll dismiss them. So let's stand together. Three passages. I want you to turn to Jude 20, 1 Timothy 4, and 1 Corinthians 9. Good sword drill today. Jude 20. We're in a study of Jude, if you're new. We're going verse by verse. Last week we covered a bunch of verses. Today we only look at one little phrase. 1 Timothy 4 and 1 Corinthians 9. Thus the props. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Let me read that again. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Next week we'll look at praying in the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 4. I don't know if Paul himself was an athlete or not, but he certainly made references to athleticism in his writings. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In other words, it's good to stay in shape, but it's better to stay in spiritual shape because that's eternal. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it, the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown or trophy, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for your holy word, living and active, and I pray it would pierce as far as the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow today, and that you would use it to build us up in you. We pray the Holy Spirit will speak to every heart here, that every person in this room and watching online will taste and see that the Lord is good. Pray for our children, God, capture their hearts, that they would walk with you and never stray. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Children are dismissed out that exit that wish to go to Children's Church. 
you're going to want your notes today. We're going to cover a lot of ground, extensive notes on the back of your flyer. Even have a bonus point today that's free, no charge for that bonus point. Have you ever known somebody who supposedly received Christ, but then showed no growth? How about somebody who was once walking with the Lord, but then they drifted away and they, they showed very little fruit anymore? Or perhaps another person that was once on fire for Jesus, they fell into sin and it took them away from God and the church. Well, better than that, on the other hand, how about somebody who's just consistently grown in the Lord, they've overcome difficulty, they've just been faithful, yeah, they slipped, but they got back up, and they just show great fruit, and they just continue to get more and more mature. How about you today? What would describe your journey with God? How much have you grown in the last six months, in the last year, in the last five years? Are you closer to Jesus today than you were two years ago? Are you more mature? Are you exhibiting more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Now, maybe you're here today and you're not even saved yet. You're not sure that, you've, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's okay. This is a start. Hey, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're watching online shows that God's after you. You, you didn't do that on your own. I mean, maybe your spouse drug you today, but, but, but you're here and it's the divine will of God and it shows that he's the loving hound of heaven because he created you to know him and he's after you, okay? So wherever you're at in your journey, you're welcome. You're welcome here. And God's word's going to speak to you today. God, God has something for all of us, me included. So the passage that we're in is just, a, you know, I love preaching through books of the Bible because there's times we cover a lot of ground like last week. And then there's times when I just am preparing and I'm like, man, that's, that one phrase is a message in and of itself. And that's today. But you, beloved, so the but you is a transition from all the stuff that he just said last week, remember about the false teachers, he doesn't want us to be in that camp. He wants us to be growing. So he says, but you, beloved, he reminds us, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved by God. We're going to have a whole message in two weeks because he says in, in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now that means he doesn't stop loving you, but you got to keep yourselves in his love. Keep yourselves experiencing his love. Can't wait to preach that. But today, he's just reminding them again, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. So our focus today is going to be on growing in the Lord. What does it mean to be spiritually fit? So let's talk about why we grow in the Lord first. Number one, false teachings abound. So here's the immediate context of this passage. There's false teachers who've infiltrated the church. They're actually in the church. They were preaching bad things about the gospel, about Jesus. And so he's basically saying, hey, to avoid falling into that, you need to be growing. You need to be sharp. Like the, you know, how do you detect a counterfeit dollar bill? By knowing a real dollar bill really well. The best way to stay away from drifting and being drawn into false teachings is to know the truth. <laughs> and listen, if, if, if you've been around the last five years and studied what's happening in the church and Christianity, you realize that today we have exactly what they were experiencing then. False teachings abound today. Now, if you want to know some specifics of what I think are some of the false teachings today, ask during the Q&A that we'll have. I'll just hold that for there if you want to know, because I have a list. Number two, immorality is rampant. So in addition to these false teachers teaching things that were not in line with Scripture and not in line with the true gospel and the true Jesus, they were living immoral lives. Verse 4 says they were using the grace of God as license to sin. In other words, it's the spirit that matters, the flesh doesn't. God will just forgive you if you sin, so it doesn't really matter how you live. No, 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 no. It does matter. And so immorality was rampant then, especially sexual immorality, same today. 1981, University of Georgia, Memorial Hall, Josh McDowell was the speaker. Pat Terry Band was playing. Anybody remember the Pat Terry Band? Anybody remember? Hey, everybody over 50. <laughs> They were kind of new in the contemporary Christian circuit. Well, I was a leader in crew. I got to emcee the meeting. I'll never forget, Josh McDowell said that night, and it's so true today, he said, of all the sins that will cause people to tube it spiritually, it's sexual sin. Now, he didn't mean they lost their salvation, but it meant that which would kind of derail them quickly. I mean, just this morning, I get a text from a dear friend of mine who leads a men's group north of Atlanta, Shows me this, sends me this picture of a bunch of people huddled around a guy and praying for him. 
And he said, guess what sin he confessed? <laughs> and I said, sexual question mark. He said, yeah, he admitted he had been addicted to porn since the age of 12. Praise God he came clean. Praise God he repented. Praise God he's got men in his life who are going to hold him accountable and pray for him. But immorality is rampant. Satan's as mean as the devil. <laughs> he will attack you. He will come after you. And if that's not enough, the world is filled with sin and our flesh is weak. So we have the unholy trinity, I call it, the world, the flesh, and the devil that are after all of us. Number three, why do we need to grow? Because drifting is common. Judah's writing this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to keep these believers from drifting. Just like poor health can easily come when we don't exercise and eat right, so does spiritual drifting occur if we just stay in the land of neutrality, the second law of thermodynamics. Everything in the natural system degenerates when left to itself. You put a car in a junkyard, it's not going to look nicer in three years. It's going to be rusted and looking worse. Now turn to 1 Timothy 1.19. Interesting passage. 1 Timothy 1.19. 1 Timothy 1.19. Holding faith and a good conscience. In other words, you've got to hold on to faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some, so rejecting faith, rejecting a good conscience, you, you reject a good conscience because you sin and you don't repent, so you don't have a clear conscience before God and man. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Ooh, what an imagery. Look at this picture. A ship that's wrecked. It once was traveling. It once was sailing the waters. It once was going where it needed to go. And then it either hit rocks or it got careless or it allowed holes in the sails and it wrecked. No longer doing what it was created to do. Known anybody like that? Maybe you're that person today. Maybe you're watching online and your faith has been shipwrecked. You once were walking with God, but you're not anymore. Well, beloved, there's good news for you. There's mercy and grace at the cross of Jesus. You can repent and be forgiven and start anew. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. The past is the past. You cannot change the past. You cannot relive the past. But you can determine today that it's going to be different in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number four, why do we grow? Because our calling is serious. Think about it. We're called to be in a love relationship with Christ. We're called to be ever maturing, ever growing. What's the number one commandment? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are the bride of Christ. We are the wife of God. We're the wife of God. That marriage is to be ever growing, ever deepening, ever becoming more intimate. Will there be hurdles? Will there be slip-ups? Yes, yes, yes. But we're to quickly turn Go back to Jesus. Our calling is serious. First John says that when Jesus comes back, some will shrink in shame at his coming. Ooh, I don't want to be that way. Some will shrink in shame at his coming. What in your life right now that if Jesus came back today and you were doing it, you would shrink in shame? Good question. Good question. What in your life right now do you do? What's that secret sin that's in your life right now? That if Jesus came back when you were doing it, you would shrink in shame. I want to be ready. I want to embrace him when he returns. I want him to find me faithful. I want to hear well done. How about you? What could be better on the planet than to hear your maker, your redeemer, your Lord and Savior say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Mm. Our calling is serious. Don't you want all that he would have for you? Don't you want all of his will? Number five, many need our help. So another reason we need to be growing is because there's many, like in the time of Jude, He's challenging these believers, be strong because there's others who are getting led astray by these false teachers, and I want you to be there to help and support them. It's a beautiful privilege when somebody calls you or texts you or emails you and say, hey, I'm struggling with this or I need prayer, would you help me? That's an honor. That's an honor. And if, if you have that in your life right now, treasure it. 
That person's calling, texting, reaching out to you because they respect your walk, they see your growth, they see your maturity, and they want to glean from it. What a privilege to make a difference for eternity. Not just give our lives for what's going to perish and burn and pass away. And so another reason we need to be growing is to be like those in Jude's day who can help others. All right, so now back to our verse because I want to make an important clarification here. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now here's an example. If you, can, if you take one verse and remove it from its context, you can not properly interpret it. Okay? D.A. Carson in my class at Trinity once said, a, a, a verse without a context becomes a pretext for a proof text. A verse without a context becomes a proof text or a pretext for a proof text. You can prove anything by taking just one isolated verse. Well, this verse in and of itself sounds like it's all up to us, doesn't it? Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. You do it. You strive. You work out. You gut it out. It's all up to you. No, because verse 24 and following, which we'll have a whole message on, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Oh, aren't you glad that we have one in us who keeps us from stumbling? Aren't you glad we have a power in us that, that, that enables us to mature and grow and even have the desire to do so? And so the bottom line is this. It's not all us, but it's not all God. It's not like you just sit back, you know, God, I'm just going to be still and know that you're God. I'm just going to rest in you. You do all the work. I'm just going to sit on this bench and you're going to make me fit. No, (laughs) it's not all God, nor it's all you. It's a partnership. Okay, God will not do what he calls you to do, and we can't do what only he can do. He will not do what he calls you to do, and and we cannot do what only he can do. We can't ultimately change our heart. We can't ultimately change our desires. We can't ultimately have the power over temptation and sin, but God can. God's power in us can. And and, and at the same time, God doesn't make you spend time with the Lord. God doesn't shake you and make you read his word. So there's things we do and there's things that only he does. And so sanctification is a partnership between God and me. And the verse that really brings us out, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Isn't that great? Work it out. Do your part. Be disciplined. Discipline yourself unto godliness. Because God's at work, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He gives you the desire, and he gives you the power to do his will. So it's this beautiful partnership. Just a quick clarification on that. All right, 10 ways in which we grow. Because I want to make this as practical as possible, and then we'll have some Q&A. How do we grow? Number one, by being born again. First of all, be sure you're saved. Now, that seems obvious, but it's important because some people try to change themselves from the outside in by doing good works, being religious, going to church, but they're, never, they're not saved. The first step in this journey called spiritual growth is to be sure Christ is in your life, that you're forgiven of your sins, that you're born again. And that's why I love that verse, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and I'll eat with him and he with me. It's a great picture. Jesus knocking, the house represents our lives or our heart or our spirit. We open the door, that's when you're saved. Being saved means you realize you're a sinner before a holy God. You realize nothing you do can erase that sin. You acknowledge that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your sins. You open the door by inviting him in. You repent of your sins, put your faith and trust in Christ alone, And what does it say? It's a beautiful picture. He comes in. He comes in, and just picture for a moment, he comes into the entranceway. And so that's the beginning of the journey. We haven't yet gotten to him moving from room to room and helping you grow and adjust those rooms. Right now, he's just in the entranceway. But if he's not in the entranceway, if he's not in the house, your house will not be what it's supposed to be. 
So be sure you're born again. Do you know without a shadow of a doubt today that if you died and stood before God, you would be allowed into heaven because you're trusting in Christ alone, not trusting in your works, not trusting in your religion, not trusting in your benevolence, but trusting in Christ alone. If there's any doubt in your heart today, get that settled. Listen, I got saved when I was 17, but I went through doubts. Sophomore year of college, I remember kneeling at my dorm room in Creswell Hall and just once again praying that prayer to seal the deal, make sure that I nailed the stake in the ground. Never had a doubt since. I needed that. Now, I know I was saved when I was 17, but I had these doubts, and I just needed to, to again, nail the stake in the ground. Some of you may need that. Listen, I'll say one other thing. If you've not been baptized since you've received Christ, I'm telling you, when you obey God in the waters of baptism, this gives you assurance like you've probably never had before. Some of you don't have assurance of salvation today because you've not been obedient to baptism. This is important. I'm telling you, when I got baptized whoo, in college and I wrestled with the whole infant baptism thing because my dad's a Lutheran pastor, I was raised Lutheran, it's all I knew, and then somebody said, hey, you ought to read every verse about baptism. So I did, and I concluded, man, it's obvious. It's to be after you're saved, not before. And when I got baptized, I think my sophomore year of college, man, Spirit of God just intensified in my life. He blesses obedience to baptism. So first of all, be sure you're born again. Number two, flowing right out of this, is surrendering to his power and presence. Now here's where many miss it. If you don't surrender, there won't be growth. You're leaving Jesus in the entranceway of the home. <laughs> Maybe you're truly saved, you've invited him in, but if there's not surrender, giving him control, this is called lordship, okay? This is, he's not just in the passenger seat of your car, he's the driver. This is where you say, okay, Jesus, not only have I invited you in, but I surrender, your, I surrender to your control over how the house is adjusted and rearranged. You say, you know what, Jesus, you, you, I, you're invited into the living room. You're invited into the library, thought life. You're invited into the bedroom. You're even invited into the closet where I have these secret sins and so forth. Ooh. So when you surrender, what it does is it frees the hands of God to work in your life. It also is this wonderful thing where you allow the spirit of the living God to change you from the inside. See, so many people do, they try to change themselves from the outside in by behavior modification and just living up to rules and do's and don'ts. This is a relationship whereby you allow the Holy Spirit to live through you. It's called the transformative life. It's what a watchman knee called the normal Christian life. <laughs> it's Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I do live, but now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, no longer do I live, but the life that I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God. He lives in and through me. I'm surrendering. I'm relinquishing control. And so if you've not done that, if you're not relinquishing control, your growth will be stunted. And this is the other thing, number three. The way to motivate surrender is to behold the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we behold the glory of God, because he's unveiled our face. See, that's the work of the Spirit. He unveiled your face. He, he unveiled. He took the veil from your eyes. He's the one that removed that so you could see the light of his glory. Now, as you behold his glory, you will be transformed by his spirit. So the third point on how to grow is behold God. In other words, spend more time focusing on who he is than who you are. Now, we're all about who we are in Christ. I'm not talking about that. Spend more time focusing on who he is than yourself. See, a lot of Christians, and it sounds real pious and religious, they, they do what I call spiritual navel-gazing. They're constantly focusing on where they fall short, where they need to be better, and they're, they're just, they're just self-preoccupied. Get your eyes off yourself. Now, there's a place for spiritual self-examination. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that make more the rhythm of your life beholding God 
getting to know his true nature, worshiping him, focusing on his attributes. This is transformative for growth. And it reminds me of my house diagram. We say a balanced Christian life, you build a house from the foundation up. That is who God is. The foundation of a healthy, balanced, vibrant, fruitful Christian life is knowing God. Then you get into the house through the work of Christ. Then who you are in Christ, not who I, not who I am in Christ, but who I am in Christ. <laughs> See? So that's part of beholding his glory. Then you're empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. All of that is what motivates and empowers your obedience. Big difference. Are you building your house from the foundation up? For me, it was just as practical as this. For about the first two, three years of my Christian life, man, I was very disciplined to spend time with God every day. But if you looked at my journals, you would see, I would read about 10 to 20 verses over and over and over, and I would always write in my journal, what should I do because of this passage? See, my focus was on the top of the house. Now, it sounded real great, and it was, you know, seemed very godly, but it was kind of pharisaical. And then this 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 perspective of beholding God's glory hit me. And now then I began to read and I focused, first of all, what does this teach me about who God is? See the difference? And I said, God, I'm here to, I'm spending time with you because I just want to know you. I want to know you better. Not get something I'm supposed to do. God, I'm here spending time with you just to know you. Paul said in Philippians 3, and he'd been a Christian for 25 years when he wrote this, that I might know him. I'm like, Paul, you do know him. I want to know him more. I don't know him like I want to know him. Do you know God? Do you have a hunger and a passion to know him deeper? Are you pursuing God just to know him, not just not to do all this stuff for him? And there's a place for that. Make sure you're building your house from the foundation up. It's a big difference. And I'm telling you, worship is a huge part of this. Godly anointed, biblical, Christ-centered worship is awesome. Man, we experienced it today. If your heart wasn't moved earlier in the service, then you might need to do some self-examination in a healthy way. I'm not saying you got to like all the songs. I mean, we all have our preferences. But I mean, when you have worship like we had this morning that's so anointed and Christ-centered and godly and the lyrics are truth, man, I don't know about you, it just makes me say, God, I want to know you more. I want to go deeper with you. All right, now with this foundation of number one, two, and three, what I want to do now is I want to draw parallels between being physically fit and being spiritually healthy. Again, we're thinking about 1 Timothy 4 where he says, train yourselves up to be godly, thus the props. So the first is eating properly. Okay, like any person who's going to be fit, going to be healthy, what do they do? They need to eat healthy. So they always say, you know, the, the fruits and vegetables, right? We got the protein powder we're going to put into the drink, make those shakes after you work out, all of that. And then it reminds me of 1 Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. Eating properly. Hebrews talks about not just drinking milk, but going to the meat, going to the deeper things of God. And this is what I love about the Christian life. There's always deeper places to go. It's like a, a, an ocean. Water's shallow enough for a little baby to wade in, deep enough for the most experienced scuba diver to never get to the depths of. I love that about the Christian life. There, there's always new depths. There's always more to know about God. There's always more maturity we can experience. Well, you've got to eat healthy to grow spiritually. So this would deal with what you put in your mind, what you look at with your eyes. This is the transformation of our mind. Romans 12, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Take every thought captive. What are you taking in? What are you drinking and eating? Jeremiah 15, 16, he said, Thy word was found and I ate it, and it was a joy and the delight of my heart. Are you feasting on the Word of God? Are you drinking godly things? Well, I don't have time, Pastor. Oh, really? You don't have time to spend time with God. Maybe you ought to check your, what's that thing they call you get a report every week? Oh, screen time. Oh, maybe, maybe look at your screen time. 
and see what that says about how you're spending your time. Because if you have time to scroll social media and compare yourself with your friends and neighbors and all that, you have time to spend with God, right? Now, one of the illustrations I use whenever I do missions, and we just did it two weeks ago in Nicaragua, the pastors love it. Matter of fact, it's been cool because since I left Nicaragua, I've already seen two posts by pastors who've gotten a wheel and use this in their church, and I love it. The spokes represent all the things that we have to do in our life. Job, money, family, hobbies, blah, 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 blah. Well, the hub is the most important part of the wheel. If the hub is strong, the, the spokes will be where they should be. The hub is your personal time with God. The hub is your personal intimacy with Jesus. The hub is your time in the Word and prayer. The hub is what you're drinking in, taking in. The hub is your intimacy with God. And this is why Jesus, it said, would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. If it was important for Jesus to often slip away to spend time with his Father, how much more important is it for you? Most important thing I do in my day is spend time with God. It's more important than anything else. Because that hub fuels everything else. Are you spending time with God? Do you have time every day that you're in the Word and prayer? You must make this a priority. It's a choice. We all decide how we're going to spend our time every day. Nothing's more important than you eating properly. All right, number five. This is where you put into practice your faith. We grow by exercising consistently. Consistently means that it's a regular part of your life. It's not just you get on this fitness trip because it's the beginning of the year and then it fades by about January 25th or whatever. So exercising, no pain, no gain, right? Hitting the gym, tearing down the muscles. Sometimes being sore is good because the muscles come back stronger. So this is putting into practice what you say you believe. So this does include time with God, but it's more than that. If you say you believe that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, then you're going to be in the Word. If you say, and if we say we believe that all my material possessions are God's, then you exercise that by tithing. If you say you believe that lost people matter to God and that if they die without Christ, they spend eternity separated from God, then you pray for lost people and you reach out to lost people. If you say you believe that fellowship with others is important, then you choose to be active in a church, you see? But it's exercising. It's putting into practice what we say we believe. Where do you need to do more spiritual exercising? And you saw earlier those verses where he parallels athletics with our growth in Christ. And I love that. Number six, you connect with others. In other words, you don't do it alone. Christianity is not a solo flight. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. From the moment you got saved, you were put into the body of Christ. That shows that God is all about community. 1 Corinthians 12. Hebrews 10. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You guys are to be commended today because you're not guilty of Hebrews 10, 24. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. So they had the problem then, just like now. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need each other in this journey. You cut off an arm, it's going to die, separated from the body. And so many people that get into shape physically, they need a trainer. <laughs> they need to go to the gym where they're with others. There's something about that that gathering, that community, that camaraderie, same in our walk with God. We need each other, and I'm so thankful for all the things we have available here. We have Wednesday night groups. We have home groups. We have Ironman groups. We have noblemen groups. The women are meeting right now over in the Generations Building. We have the CR step studies, the young adult small groups. There's so many opportunities here for you to connect, take advantage of it. All right, now this next one's not meant to be legalistic or kind of like a set of rules, but it's important because a big hindrance to building ourselves up in our most holy faith, our Jude passage, is unhealthy practices that we cling to, okay? 
So number seven, we grow by repenting of unhealthy practices. Just like if you're getting into physical shape and you have a trainer and he's quizzing you on things in your life and you tell him that, you know, you're using excessive drugs or alcohol or you smoke cigarettes or you, you know, you do things that are unhealthy or, you know, you're not eating properly. He's going to say, hey, you know, if you're going to get healthy physically, we probably need to eliminate some of these things replace it with something better. And in the Bible, this is called repentance. So Acts chapter 3 says, Repent, therefore, turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. And then I love this last phrase, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So let me explain repentance to you. It's just very simple. It just means to make a 180. So this is my relationship with Jesus. Like a marriage, I want it to be close. But if I do things that displease God, and this is why the Bible talks about sins. The New Testament doesn't shy away from calling sin, sin. But it's not like, you know, if you do this, then, then you know, you're, it's not a legalistic thing. It's God wants to have closeness with you, so these things that displease him, he calls us to repent from. And this is a continual thing. You don't just repent to get saved, that begins the thing, but you repent of anything throughout your journey with Christ. Just like if I am doing something in my marriage that displeases Deity or hurts Deity or hinders our closeness, what should I do? I need to turn away from those things that I might have greater closeness with her in the same way. If there's something in your life that displeases God, you repent, you turn away from it in order to pursue Jesus, have greater closeness with Jesus, and he refreshes you in that. So sexual sin. It's a biggie. It's in the Bible. It's a biggie today. It's always been a biggie. It always will be a biggie. Sexual immorality hinders closeness with God. Repent that he might refresh you. Holiness tastes better than sin. I know that's hard to believe, some of you. And I get that that's why there's addictions out there. But if we truly experience holiness, it does taste better than sin. Drugs, alcohol, porn... Those things displease God when we, they become addictive, they become controlling. Repent, get help, that your closeness with God might improve. Greed, materialism, selfishness, pride, those are things that he calls us to repent of in order to have something better from him. And this goes back to beholding the glory of God. Because closeness with God, intimacy with God, a clear conscience, a holy life, is far better than what this stuff can give you. This stuff may give you a temporary high. It may give you temporary pleasure. But ultimately, there's the regret. There's the, there's the guilt. But this is a beautiful... Holiness is a beautiful thing when properly experienced. And so I hope that gives you a different angle on repentance. Not just this, repent because you're displeasing God and that's a sin and ah. Instead, it's... Turn away from that so you might have something better. Eight, resting. Just as our physical bodies need rest, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that we sleep a third of every day? So does the Sabbath principle apply to our spiritual growth. One of the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath day. Mark 6, 31, Jesus told his disciples, come away and rest. So what, is, what does rest mean Spiritually, well, it involves physical rest, honoring the Sabbath principle. For me, it's things like taking walks, anything out in God's creation, hunting, spending time with my wife. Those are things that refresh me, sitting by my campfire in my backyard. It's building into your life things that truly, in a godly, healthy way, recreate you. That's recreation. And so we need that. God doesn't expect us to always be going, 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 going. You'll burn out. Number nine, give it time. Physical growth takes time. I've learned that with four children and four grandchildren. You know, a child isn't born walking. <laughs> it takes time to learn to walk and learn to talk. And so just as physical maturity takes time, so does spiritual maturity. And I wish it wasn't this way sometimes, but sanctification is a slow process. And so give yourself some grace here. This is why in 1 John 2, what we build our discipleship around here, I write to you children, young men, fathers. 
We, we grow from a spiritual child to a spiritual adolescent to a spiritual adult. It takes time. And then a tenth point that I just added this morning. Grow, you grow by rehabbing when injured. Every athlete eventually will have an injury. And when they're injured, what do they do? They rehab. They go to a specialist. They may need surgery, but there's rehab. There's the ice and the heat, and there's the recovery time. And it, they just have to give themselves time and take the right steps to rehab. No different spiritually, beloved. We're going to slip. We're going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to get entrapped at times. We're going to drift. And we might even... And this is where the hand of God is so interesting. The, the deeper you go with God, sometimes He will bring things to your mind that you kind of wonder, now why didn't this come up two years ago? Well, maybe in God's economy you weren't ready yet, and all of a sudden you are aware of something in your past. Abuse or some area that you've held bitterness towards somebody. And you need some rehab. In other words, some things are coming to your attention that are painful and hard. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. God is taking you there because he wants to bring healing, recovery. Okay? And so praise God, again, we have resources here. We've got the CR step studies. We've got counseling. We have intensive prayer. We have seven steps to freedom. We have restoring the foundations. Because sometimes you get, you just become aware of things in your life that, you need to rehab. You need healing. As a matter of fact, I was thinking this morning, why was one of Jesus, one of the four main things that Jesus did about healing? Think about it. Jesus' three years of ministry could be summarized, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons, discipling the twelve. Healing was a huge part of his ministry. Why? I think it's because he wants us to realize that he's able to heal you of anything you struggle with. It's more than just physical healing. Emotional healing can many times be more important than physical healing. And it just as a reminder, he is able, beloved. Be encouraged today. He's able to heal, to, to forgive, to help you recover from anything that you need to rehab from. Amen? All right, let's review. Here's what we've learned. We grow by making sure you're born again. Surrendering beholding Him, eating, exercising, connecting with others, repenting, resting, giving it time, and rehabbing when you need to. All right. Let's take some questions. Or if you have a really quick testimony of how you've done one of these and it's worked. So text a question or raise your hand. We've got two guys with the mics. By the way, it's kind of funny. If I go more than two weeks without Q&A, I get grief from some of you. <laughs> can, can you tell us about the, your list of faults? Mm. All right, sure will. My list of false teachings to be aware of. Jehovah Witnesses preach another Jesus. Mormonism, I believe Joseph Smith was a false prophet. Islam, Muhammad, I believe, is a false prophet. The modern prosperity gospel, now I do believe they probably preach the true gospel of salvation, but the heavy emphasis on financial, material prosperity as a sign of, you know, true faith or the blessing of God, an overemphasis on physical healing, believing that God always heals, it's, never, it's always His will to heal, so if you're not healed you don't have enough faith, I believe that's dangerous. I wouldn't say that it's Again, I think they could still be accurate on the gospel, but those are teachings that concern me in that movement. Of any church that embraces LGBTQ, so they're ignoring the sin of homosexuality, they're compromising God's word. Churches that uh, teach infant baptism as a means of salvation, okay? Because if you teach that baby is saved at, at infant baptism, then there's no call to be saved later in life, at least in many of those churches. So I think that's a very dangerous teaching. Uh, universalism, where it's the belief that everybody's going to go to heaven and you, Jesus is not the only way to God, that is clearly false teaching. And anything that would teach work salvation versus saved by grace through faith. Now there's one other movement that I'm just beginning to learn more about. is called the uh, New Apostolic Reformation. 
very concerned about that. Again, I, don't, I wouldn't say those groups don't preach salvation, but there's a movement that has been coined. It's not like they coined it, but others have coined it. It's churches that claim to have modern-day apostles and prophets, and they call them prophets, and they call them apostles. I just think some things that I'm seeing in that movement is very dangerous. They lift themselves up to an, a position of, a, of soul authority that I think is dangerous. preached about that last week, how pastors should always be one among an elder team. Plurality of leadership, never one person who's like the apostle, the prophet. Also, some of them have just flat out made wrong prophecies. Claimed to have visions and dreams that Trump would get reelected. That didn't happen. And only one that I know of has admitted we were wrong. The others kind of kept moving the goalposts. And it was just, I just think, man, it just makes me nervous. A lot of subjective guidance um, going on all these prophecies and dreams and visions. And it's just easy to, to get away from the word. Do I believe in dreams and visions of prophecy? Absolutely. We have a prophetic team here, but we try to keep it very balanced, make sure it's always filtered through Scripture, and that those people never say, thus saith the Lord, and things like that. There's good New Testament prophecy. Wayne Grudem is the best on that, I think, his explanation of that. So that's another movement that I have a growing concern about. Good question. Hello? Pastor David, could you take uh, a minute or two to compare and contrast heresy and error and false teaching? Thank you. Yes. So I think, again, it goes back to uh, major on the majors. It goes back to unity in the essentials, diversity in the non-essentials. So anything that is an essential has a direct relevance on salvation. So I would say it's heresy when it is especially about an area of salvation. And so there I would distinguish between Jehovah Witnesses, Mormonism, Islam, I think those are heresies. Those are clearly wrong ways of approaching salvation. It's unbiblical means of salvation. But I would say teachings like what I just described regarding the new apostolic reformation, I wouldn't call that heresy. I would just say those are teachings within those movements that concern me that I think are maybe imbalanced. Great question, because again, that's why I tried to clarify. I think they still have the gospel solid. Um, and because I don't want to be, and this is, I, I love Remnant Radio. If you guys listen to those guys, they're really good. And they constantly say, we are not heresy hunters. We're not just kind of attacking every part of the body of Christ that doesn't agree the way we do. But at the same time, I think they do a great job of really expressing concerns about stuff, getting the people on the air that are in those movements so they're going right to the source. And so I find it, man, it sharpens your sword. We need to have sharp swords. And I want to be a unity guy. And as much as I can, I want to affirm as much as I can about groups that are truly having an impact for God. I don't expect that we've got to agree on everything. Um, but at the same time, it, it, we need healthy dialogue, grace and truth on things that maybe where things are getting off center because I want to make sure we don't. Pastor David, how about churches that um, seem to have the gospel correct in a lot of things, but then they go into the idea of the modalism of God? Again, that'd be another area where I think, you know, we, we might agree on the essentials, but on the non-essentials, um, explain how you define modalism. Oh, uh, uh, in the sense that they don't uh, believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. They, well, then that's an essential. Yeah, that's so, yeah. They they see God as existing in one mode at a time, like the Holy Spirit or the, the yeah. Son so I mean, so, yeah. Clearly, I mean, no question. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is an essential. And so, if a group deviates in the Trinity, then they are not they're not a true church, in my opinion, as much as they may pretend to be. But it's important that we dialogue. It's important we understand what they're saying. You know, again, I, I think it's very important we go to, the, go to the original sources of those groups because, let's, you know, people have said I believe, people have said I said things. And I'm, no, I didn't say that. Come and ask me. I'll tell you. So let's be sure when we do have concerns about other groups that we make sure that they're truly teaching what others are saying they're teaching. So, for example, that new apostolic reformation group, because the concerns have come forth by some good theologians, uh, they've now written, Michael Brown has written a statement that a bunch of people are signing, and it's a solid statement. And so it's a good chance for people that, that have been maybe 
uh, accused of being in that camp, they have now an opportunity to say, no, I'm not in that camp. See, I signed that statement saying that we do not believe that apostles today are on the same level as the 12 apostles. We do not believe that, you know, and, and, they, and so that's a really good statement by Michael Brown um, that it, I think helps bring correction. Anybody else? Okay, here I got one here. Okay, this one, what role do you see praying in tongues or praying in the Spirit in building up your faith? Deal with that next week, so you got to hold on, because that's going to be the whole message next week. I'm going to talk about three different kinds of tongues. There's three different kinds of tongues in the Bible. We'll talk about that. Um, ooh, if, if, ooh, if we were to disagree with something preached by Living Hope Church, how should we go about bringing that up to have a dialogue? Come to me, come to the elders. We always say, you can come to us about anything. We're going to put out our annual report, I think, in the next week or two. It'll have the budget. It'll have the expenses. It'll have all the finances. We'll open our books to anybody who has a good reason that they want to see all that. Um, we are elder-led. We're not congregational, but the elders want to hear from you, want you to bring concerns. So that's the way you do it. You don't talk among yourselves. You don't create gossip and division. You come to the leadership. The Bible says don't, don't entertain an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or more witnesses. And so basically, if, we were to, if you were to disagree with something, you please come to us. Please come to us and we'll talk. God's used people with concerns to bring correction in my life. I'm like, man, you make a great point. I probably didn't preach that clear enough. Thank you. I'll be better next time. So, yeah, we want to be iron sharpening iron among ourselves. Anybody else? Ooh, how can I? Okay, I got to address this one. How can I be sure that I'm saved? Sometimes I worry that I'm not. You do what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You go to the Word, you do what it says, you receive Christ, and then how do you know? Because He will do what He says He'll do if, if you do what He says you should do. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you receive Him in your life, if you sincerely repent of your sins and say, I put my faith and trust in Christ, then how do you know you're saved? Because He said He would save you. Revelation 3.20, I've, I've loved taking people through this. Okay, you open the door, right? Yes. Sincerely want Christ to be not only, not only Savior, but Lord. You're opening the door of your life. You're receiving him, right? Yes. So I prayed that, Pastor, but I didn't feel anything. I didn't have the goosebumps. I didn't hear the hallelujah chorus. And so how do I know? I said, read the word. What does it say? It says, oh, he says he would come in. He promised. That's right. They get it. He says, if you open the door, I will come into you. So will God do what he says? Yes, he's true to his word. So they're going, I get it. I put my trust in his word and his character. And all of a sudden, the assurance comes because their eyes are off themselves and an emotional experience, and it's on to what God says he will do. And then, as he comes in, he starts to change you, and that gives you further proof that you're truly saved. All right. One more? Pastor David, uh, I went to a conference and it turned into, uh, they started talking about healing and stuff, and, and I have severe PTSD from the war and stuff. Um, and one, one of the other guys asked, him, asked one of the gentlemen to pray for me, and I did, I, it was really weird. He made me stare in his eyes, and he, he kept on snapping his fingers. I've, I've had a weird feeling about that ever since he did that, and I felt like he was trying to hypnotize me or something. Mm. Do you see a lot of that in, in the? Because I mean, I believe that that God heals. It's just that He doesn't heal everybody until it, well, He heals everybody by bringing them up. Right. But can, can you talk a little bit about that? Have yeah, this will be this will be the last one. Um, I think probably one of the greatest areas in which it's very easy to get imbalanced. In the, in the Christian life, especially if you are what we are, word and spirit, you believe in all the gifts and movement of the Holy Spirit, is healing. It is the, it is the one area I've seen the most confusion and conflict, um, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I see a lot of people do that. God heals. God can heal anything. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've seen stuff that to man seems weird, okay? The Dawsonville revival right now, I believe, is a true move of God. People are getting legit healed in the baptismal waters, okay? 
But, but the pastor, Todd Smith, says every week, it's not the water, guys. It's, the, it's God. But God gave him a vision, I believe it's a legit vision, that their baptistry was on fire. That if people get baptized, they will, get, they will be put on fire for God. And I know people who've gone, I'm going in a few weeks, and, and, and they're legit. I mean, the Remnant Radio guys interviewed him. Powerful interview, powerful interview. So humble, the testimonies are undeniable. Okay? With moves of God often come extremes. Seen this in the Brownsville Revival, saw this in the Toronto Blessing. The blessing of being older now. You've seen some of that. I went down and spent five days in the Brownsville Revival because I wanted to see it firsthand. And so what often happens is people want to take what is happening in one place and think, oh, okay, now if we just start baptizing people in our church, we'll experience the same thing. That can be putting God in a box just as much as anything else. We have to each seek God for our lives and our church and our ministries, okay? And so some people get overzealous at zeal without knowledge. Maybe, maybe that guy went to a meeting and a guy went like this and he got healed. And it was legit and it was God. Now he thinks, oh, if I just snap my finger... That'll, you know, that's just, sometimes it's just zeal without knowledge. I give a lot of people grace on that. I just kind of say, you know what, just be patient, just be graceful. It's kind of a young person who's zealous. I mean, you see what I mean? And so it's just, it's just a matter of seeking God, submitting everything to God, bringing it under the word. But any group that teaches it's always God's will to heal, that is dangerous. For one, that, what would that lead to? We would never die. That's not biblical. We're all going to die of something, and if you get healed, you're going to still die of something else. You see? So it's just, man, it's just so important to keep the main thing the main thing. Seek his face more than his hands, but his hands do work, <laughs> and his hands do do crazy stuff sometimes. In my book, God Does What? I have a chapter on the spitting God. Jesus spit in the guy's eyes. That's weird, but he did it, and it healed the guy. Does that mean we go around spitting on people? No. Come on. Don't get weird. Let God do his thing, believe, trust, be open to anything, but don't baptize everything. Don't say it's got to be this way. That's why I love that scene in The Chosen with the little James going to Jesus. Why have you not healed me? What he says to little James is so spot on. Right afterwards, you got, you got um, Dallas Jenkins interviewing Nick. I can never pronounce his last name. The guy with no arms and legs, propped up in a chair. And then he just weeping when he saw that scene because he says, God has used me all over the world. He's the most sought-after speaker in the world today. In the world. No arms and legs. You going to tell me if he just had enough faith, he could grow arms and legs? Could God grow arms and legs on him? Yes. But he is being more used of God because he doesn't have arms and legs. And so that just puts it all into perspective that sometimes infirmity is a blessing. Sometimes not being healed is a blessing. But you don't go to that extreme and never pray for healing. So it's how you do it. And I hope we do it well here. We're going to ask, we're going to believe, but we're never going to tell that person, you know, if you just had enough faith, you get out of that wheelchair. Man, that's so unhealthy. That's not pastorally wise. And I've seen the damage done to people from that kind of teaching. Well, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your good word today. We love you, God. And we just say, Lord, grow us up. Grow us up, God. Listen, if you're not sure you're saved, right now pray, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, I surrender. Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, have your will and way. Just picture your, your life right now like that house. What room might he need to go to today? What room might, might he want to enter? Are you, are you going to give him freedom? Are you going to say, Lord, every room is unlocked? Oh, every room is unlocked, Lord. Even the closet, even the attic, even the basement. God, it's unlocked. Go wherever you want to go. Can you say that to him today? Why would you not say that to him today? What could keep you today from saying, Lord, every room is unlocked? Oh, beloved, I encourage you to say that to the Lord right now. Every room is unlocked. Every room is unlocked. Lord, I repent of anything that grieves you. God, I want a healthy marriage with you. Oh, beloved, surrender. I just want to open the altar now. Some of you may want to just come to the front here and just, just surrender afresh. Yield afresh.
And if anybody comes, nobody's going to come up and pray for you. This is just you and God. If you want to just come to the front right now, just say, Lord, have your will. Lord, I unlock every room. Lord, I want to make sure that nothing is withheld from you. Praise you. Bless you, God. Search my heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Praise you. Praise you. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and shape me after thy will. Have thine own way, Lord. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Oh, Jesus, praise you. Bless you. Holy Spirit, come. Mm. Let's quietly stand. Prayer team, take your places, please. The altar's open. Prayer team's available. Don't sing this song if you don't mean it.